Blog Talk Radio.
welcome to Spoken Word Poetry, the art, the industry, the viability. I'm Jacqueline Taylor Adams, and I am your co-host, along with the one and only Franchon. Sweet Franchon. <laughs> I was going to say your, your whole full name. <laughs> so so they have five I, names on Facebook, everybody. Peace and light, everybody. It's sweet friend, Sean. Glad to be in the building. All right. So how are you today? All is great. All is well, sis. I missed you. Missed you, too. Missed you, too. So it's the new year. It's 2014. And we figured we'd start off this year just with Francois and I and calling in on some people. I saw KP said that he he was going to tune in, so I'm hoping he is. And we want to talk about where 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 you are as an artist. You know, as a spoken word artist, where where are you right now? Where do you want to be? I mean, where do you want to be in poetry? And we want to talk about where you want to be and ways to get there. And we want to network and make sure that we collaborate because there are so many people doing so many great things and and a lot of resources, and sometimes we just don't know what's available right, right near us and what's right there at our fingertips. So we want to look at a year of planning. You know, we want your purpose to meet your vision and strategic planning, collaboration and networking. We can't work in silos anymore. No more the long the so long range. I'm gonna be the one and only super spoken word star. Uh-huh. You know <laughs> you know, no working in silos is just not effective. Collaboration. And you even see some of the biggest stars and the biggest money makers. Honestly, the bigger they get, the more they have the tendency to collaborate because they know that's the better way to hold on to what they have. Mm-hmm. So um, those are just some of the things we want to talk about. So, Francois, just tell us about, you know, what are your goals for the years? What's going on with peace, love, and poetry? And, you know, you know, what's your vision for this year? Well, the good news is that every January, February, I take off from performing as well as I don't do any production. So that gives me an opportunity to sit back, reevaluate what worked the year before, the year or years before, what quite wasn't working, what aspects I want to improve improve upon, and um, and you know, gives me an opportunity to meditate on, you know, making sure I stay connected to my purpose. And don't let my ego get in the way. So, um, fortunately, this this is coming up at a good time for me because that's where I am in my uh, process for 2014. Typically, in the past, I've had my year already booked completely before the new year starts. And I thought that was um, really, I was so excited about that last year. But life happens. And then I found that, you know, especially being a micro-business owner, that you have to have room to adjust, adjust to life circumstances. You have to give yourself enough room to be creative um, for that creative process. And I didn't, what I learned last year is that I didn't give myself enough time to create things. You know, you have to be able to sit still. Everybody has their own way. So this year I plan to um, create more as a performer and not focus as much on the production and promotion side because the business side of it was taking up 
90%, and I didn't have any new new and creative products or services to offer or just to improve upon some, some um, products and services. So my goal this year is to get some of my products completed, such as uh, a CD, a couple of CDs, um, to to take some lessons and to become a better performer, just some vocal lessons and things, because I have an idea of a one-woman show that I like to produce for just, with just myself. I, I don't know if I get that done in 2014. Again, I'm giving myself room to not only perform but to produce the show and mm-hmm. to formalize, to make sure all the formalities of my business is in order, you know, uh, my mm-hmm. incorporation statuses, make sure my business licenses are up to date, make sure that, you know, I'm keeping track of all my expenses, et cetera, so that I can make sure I'm not missing out on any tax, you know, tax breaks. So those are just some short goals. I don't make a lot of them because I like to accomplish them, but that's who I am. I'm I'm going to create some balance in my business. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. That's, you know, honestly, that's where I'm at. That is, you know, this year, I don't really plan on creating too many things new, you know, very few new things because, you know, I have a lot of other things that, you know, I really want to focus on manifestation mm-hmm. and aligning things, you know, instead of doing one thing way over here and one thing over here, you know, what can I work together and align it? And if something doesn't really align with what I'm doing with my main focus, it's not time to do it. That's right, that's right. I mean, I I find myself saying no more than yes because I have to really look at is it in alignment with what I'm doing. And I notice that when I pull things in and focus on just a few things, you know, I was able to thrive in those areas. Yeah. And if you, you know, pull something in that's already, if it's something that's going in the direction you're going in, it's a lot easier than if it's in another place because it takes so much more time and energy. Um, to get it done, and it just, you know, pulls you out. So, um, but with that, that's why I thought it would be good instead of starting off this new year with a whole new show, let's really apply what we've learned, apply what we've been speaking about, you know, because we, you know, speak about all of this, but how are we actually applying it? That's right. One thing I like to say is, you know, like you said earlier about collaborating, I am very good with collaborating on um, productions and creative things. But one of the things I'm doing is looking at experts like yourself, looking into uh, what services that, you know, I could could hire or or collaborate with others or um, to, to take some of that off of me. You know, as, you know, as a producer and promoter and a performer, Sometimes I need my I might need my own agent because I'm so busy, you know, being an agent for other people. I might need my own manager. I may need my own marketing person to promote me as a solo artist versus the productions and the promotions um, and the shows that I do. So that's one of the things I'm looking at too, like looking at them as two different products. I have my productions and then I have myself as a solo performer and what, you know, and I need to give that some attention this year. Yes. And that's what, um, again, what I'm doing, looking at my existing network and, you know, people I know, performance things. Like, you know, I even brought you in on the one project, The Impact Now, because it's a way that I can 
you know, share a lot of this information and different things that I can, you know, go ahead and share it with you because you're ready to apply it. And right, um, right. and then we work with the Urban Tech Fair. That's going to give us a big arm in me being able to bring technology to the table. I see. Because I'm working with people who develop apps, who, you know, who can make, who, you know, we can put in game, you know, create games through these challenges right. and things. And this is what we have available. So, you know, how can we streamline this process really and make it more affordable? Right, right. Okay, let me bring up the chat. Thank you, E. I hadn't opened up the chat room. That's um, <laughs> I'm like really, I'm really working to stay focused, you know. Because I have a lot going on, and I just was got the opportunity for anyone there that's in the gospel music and all. Um, Wednesday we'll be interviewing Jeff Majors, you know, from the TV One show, The Gospel of Music with Jeff Majors. He's Absolutely. releasing a CD, Sacred X. So, yeah. add that to our hood gospel series. And um, so I hopefully I opened up the chat room. So if you want to go on I, and eat, I'm so <laughs> glad he is on the line. Um, I really hope that you can pull him in the call because he has been doing some great work as far yes. as building a, some brands. And um, I would love to hear what shifted his focus, what his motivation behind it, and what his plans are for this year. Yes, and then I also want if KP, if you and you're listening, and I'd like you to call in because I want like you know you and E and all to also share you know opportunities. Like, you know you have shows coming up. Is it you know what the artists need to do if they want to you know get on a show if they want an opportunity to perform? You know E has an entire label and he has a new radio show he's doing, and um, so there are a lot of opportunities in poetry. 24-7, they're just doing some great things. So we want everybody to, like, share what they have. So um, right now I'm going to open up the line. So call it from the 202. Hey, what's going on? It's actually KP here. Hi, KP. Hi. How are you? <laughs> hey, how y'all doing? Hey, I'm KP, doing fine. You got on. Oh, yeah, I still got the uh, DC number, but I'm in Philly. Okay. All right. Well, KP, um, first introduce yourself to our audience. Everyone may not know you. So, you know, let everyone know who you are as a person, a performer, and then as a businessman. Okay. My name is Christopher KP Brown. Um, from Arkansas originally. I've been in Philly for the last four years, On a, actually D.C. and Philly on the East Coast for the last few years. I run a website called Poetry247.com. Uh, we promote a lot of the poetry events that are going on on the East Coast. And I also run, run a chapel publishing company for poets called Two Pens and Lynch, Two Pens and Lynch, uh, dot com. So, yeah. Okay. So, and I'd um, just like to say Poetry 24-7 has been a huge support for me. It's one of my best investments. It really takes. KP does a great job in making sure that your information for all the lots of poetry shows in the D.C., Philadelphia, Delaware, New York area and beyond um, are posted and shared amongst uh, the general public as well as poets. So I'd just like to publicly thank you, Chris, for all that you do for Sweet Friends Shining Enterprises. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. 
And it keeps every, and Poetry 24-7 really keeps you informed. I know because Poetry 24-7, all I need to do when I get on Twitter is just share it. <laughs> and this right. way people, you know, know what's going on. And um, we're going to let them tell you a little bit more about the service. But right before then, because um, I want you to share details um, about okay. the service and what people need to do. But we do have another caller on, so... I want to bring on the caller from the 443. Hey, peace. This is uh, E, the Poet MC. Hey, E, peace. Hello. How are you? <laughs> hey, what's going on? Hey, hey. So oh, I'm I happy you now. Too. E's on the call. I'm happy now. E's on the call. Christopher's on the call. It's all good. They're going to share some good stuff with us today, right? E, good, good to hear from you. Hey, <laughs> glad to be heard from. Excuse me, KP still on the line? Yeah, I'm still yeah. here. What's going on, man? What's up, brother? <laughs> well, I'm chilling, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a big here. fan of uh, Christopher K.P. Brown. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm about to get my uh, autograph book out. That's a beautiful thing that he's on the line, you know. So. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> likewise, likewise, I know Eve for, um, since, what, 07. I actually met him down in D.C. He was featuring at Bus Boys and Poets, one of my favorite poets. And, uh, you know, business-wise as well, like, uh, these days, when I say favorite poets, it's all it's a it's a mixture of like I enjoy the writing performance, but also enjoy the business side of what they're doing as well, because that's really what it's about, in my opinion, in 2014, as far as just moving the whole genre forward. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, uh, I just did some business with uh, Christopher K. P. Brown with the Two Pins and Lint. Uh, in addition to you know, he's always been like the the main promotional arm for most of the. Uh, Torchlight Entertainment events from the Art of Conversation to recently in Philadelphia with the No Snaps. You know, I, I definitely utilize uh, Christopher K.P. Brown's company, uh, Poetry 24-7, for promotion, additional marketing support, and as well as I have a new project out myself, uh, Fear of a Black Poet. And uh, he's published the, the book because it's a multimedia project. It's a book, it's a CD, as well as the uh, visual mixtape that's coming out in the spring towards summer. But the book, uh, Two Pins of Lint, published the book. So that's I'm glad to have worked with Brother to do that recently. So, All right. Uh, yeah, I want yeah. everybody out there, you know, if, if what you hear from here is how using everyone is using each other's service. And these two, honestly, these three, all three of you guys are really at the forefront of what's happening right now. Um, or as far as making things happen and moving uh, the, the industry of spoken word forward here on, in the Northeast region. There are a lot of people doing good, like, individually, but, like, really making an imprint on the industry, you guys are really um, moving it forward. All right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I want to speak on that because that's the main reason I really want to call in um, to really talk about um, moving it forward, working with other people, because uh, I feel like that's so important right now. Uh, you guys, you know, I've been listening since the show started today. Um, and you guys first mentioned uh, just what your plans were for the year, uh, franchise you mentioned what you were doing for the month of January, February. Um, and the reason I called in is because like, talk, I've talked to you about this recently, just uh, kind of getting out of the way, like letting go of some of the little parts. When we create these businesses, there are 
they're like our babies, right? And we don't want to let go of any part of it, right? And so that kind of stops us from actually getting where we need to go in the business. Or that stops us from doing the new business we can be doing and growing the companies that we have. So um, I know 2014 is going to really be the year where I really try to let go of some parts of it, get some other people in, get some other people on board where they're benefiting from it. And that's something that will also allow me to free up some time to do whatever is next that needs to be done, you know, whether it's Fortune 24-7, whether it's something new, whether it's, in, you know, improving on the chapbook publishing, whatever it is, um, just working with other people, get more people involved, and so more people are benefiting from it. And also so that there's something left. Like I keep <laughs> getting to these debates over the last few months about the way it used to be in Porsche, what events were around, what used to be here. And I'm like, okay, why isn't any of that still around? You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I'm you know, working to build something that's going to be around in 10 years, even if y'all know who KP is, that the chapel publishing is still there, Porsche 24-7 is still there. You know what I mean? So, like, that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm, like, really pushing for, you know, this year. And um, awesome. if I may, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, also, you know, we were remiss, uh, Paul MC, please introduce yourself formally to those who are listening because we, you know, we are so conversational because we know each other and we work with each other and use each other as resources. Please share with the general public who you are. Okay. Well, I'm, uh, I'm either Poet MC, uh, a.k.a. the Black Russell Simmons. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so you're the Black Poet MC. You're going to do something Russell never did. So go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so... Um, in 1995, I founded a company called Torchlight Entertainment uh, out of Baltimore City. And what we've done from then to now is work towards building an independent uh, infrastructure around the culture of spoken word. Uh, you know, we started a, uh, a record label, not in the traditional sense of a record label, more of a, a new millennium type of record label uh, where we, you know, it's more so training artists to be multimedia artists. That's tackling the realm of uh, recording, uh, music videos, as well as uh, live interactive type shows, similar to what uh, Franchon does with the with the with the uh, with the opera thing. You gotta, you know, you gotta you gotta take things to the next level as far as like entertainment for the people. And um, one of the, the one of the main things that I called in about because we always talk about moving. Uh, spoken word and poetry forward. And with the passing of uh, the father of of the black arts movement and who I consider also the father of black performance poetry as we know it, I think a lot of times in terms of moving forward, we got to stand cold for the situation and uh, go back, revisit certain things that have worked as far as black performance Mm -hmm. poets. Like I've been doing poetry as a performance poet for at least for 20 years. And one of the things that I, I tell a lot of artists that we're reluctant to do things that we've already done as black performance poets in the 60s and in the 70s, one being uh, tackling the recorded realm. You know, the last poets, Nikki Giovanni, uh, Miri Baraka, they work with music. They've put out uh, CD, I mean, put out albums. You know, they've done movies. They've done movie shorts. They've done music videos. They've toured with bands. They've done all these sort of things. And, most performance poets I know today are kind of reluctant to do those things. So one of the main things in the push that we do for my company is to set up those infrastructures that offer support with music production, uh, video production, and as well as recently, uh, this past week, we, we've launched uh, the Art of Conversation radio show. And what that is, it's a pre-recorded 
show that provides a platform for uh, spoken word recording artists. So, and you can find that show on SoundCloud right now. It's SoundCloud backslash E the Poet MC. That's E T H E P O E T E M C E E. Old school spelling of M C E M C E E. Run it all together on SoundCloud. You'll find me there and all over social media with that. Yes. And um, if everyone Googles the Art of Conversation, um, if you just do that, it should come up because it's the most recent things you've been putting out. Yes. Well, um, well, that's important that you, um, both of you are thinking about the infrastructure. And even with Francoise, she's doing um, something new. And, um, again, multimedia, multi-art form. And so... um, by doing that and interacting, you know, with other art forms and other mediums, you expand your audience and and you expand the experience. So um, I know, um, I guess it was maybe 2007, 2008. We went into, the, it was 2007, we were in a studio and um, I was doing a compilation and just, you know, according to the um, producer, you know, a couple pieces needed to just be redone because they didn't have the masters, and, you know, the quality wasn't quite up to par. But there was a thought at that time that, you know, if the music is too strong or too much, it was going to overpower the word. And um, so it was just interesting um, how... I'm still surprised you would think at this point it would be a lot more, but there have been, um, there are few, there are a lot of people doing recordings, excellent recordings, but still the number of poets that are still, see, out here that are really, really good, I'm still surprised the number of poets that are not recording. And the one thing about spoken word, the advantage you guys have in recording a lot is you can read, you can do an album a lot cheaper than maybe a full musical um, a music artist. Because, I mean, you can right. use all live music and all, but you can't go in a studio for a lot less. Right. Like, um, as opposed to, you know, a musician, you know, who has a band and a band member, you got to record this part in that section. And, you know, you have so many. You don't have to do that. You do have the opportunity to um, to spend less and going into the studio. So, I don't know, what would you say or what do you say to artists who are reluctant? And first, what are some of the reasons you feel, um, E, and I don't know if you run into a KP or Francois, what do you feel first is their reluctancy to record? Well, I would just say uh, most of us are reluctant to record uh, primarily because it's just uncharted territory. And we haven't... uh, grown into, because there are stages in terms of mastering any craft. You know, the first aspect of we have to question why someone wants to be a performance poet in the first place. Mm-hmm. And if you are, if you really want to be a performance poet, you know, it grows in degrees. First you master the, the, the fundamentals of writing, then you master the fundamentals of performance. And then you master the fundamentals of how do I uh, present this product to people outside of me performing for them. You know, and you know, and then you experiment with things, and you know, once you when you get into the mastery of any art form, you also get into the study and the history of that art form, because like recently, and you know, in the past ten to twenty years, there's been this 
debate in in poetry of like you know literary poetry versus spoken word and all this sort of thing, and I say those who engage in that that type of uh, argument where it has to be like this over here and that over there are not going into the history of what you know black poets have done in this country and most of us our history with this art form begins at our first open mic. We don't do the research on everything that went before us. So my challenge to all artists is if you're going to be a part of any art form, whether you are an MC, whether you are a vocalist, whether you're a poet, or whether you're a performance poet, you want, you want to study all that has been done with what it is you're trying to do. You know, we always evoke the names of Amiri Baraka and Sonia Sanchez. Well, all of them went into the recorded realm. All of them have written books. All of them have performed in different type of places. They take the music of their time. You know, most of the, uh, the last poets and Amiri Baraka, you know, they have a very heavy jazz influence, bebop influence in what they're doing. Most of us grew up in a hip-hop era or a funk era or a soul music era. Why isn't that, you know, you incorporate that in what you do? Langston Hughes did the same thing. So I always say the reluctancy is just like, you know, the fear of uncharted territory, but it's like it helps in the mastery of your craft. Yes. And the other thing I just would like to share with um, poets or anyone that may be reluctant to record in any form, written, as they state, um, one of our guests um, last month is from the page to the stage. But um, um, as poets, mo- um, many of our black poets, you, you're very historical, you're very cultural, you're, you're talking about what's going on at the time. Some people are talking about history. You're reflecting our culture and all when we physically pass on. It is the art that lives on. It's the art that tells the story. You're no longer there to be on a stage to deliver. Then, you know, your recordings is is what passes on it, and it tells the stories of who we are as a people. And, you know, so really, you know, your role is you've been given this gift and you have a role within the community. So, you know, you do need to record that. Right. Right. And um, I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. I'm. I wait. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I was just gonna speak on like just the fears of uh as well. Um, I think um a lot of it has it just comes down to a money situation for a lot of poets. Um, and when I say money situation, that that means two things. One, um, budgeting and make sure you having the money to re- to pay for the recording, where you paying the uh, mm-hmm. producer or paying for beats or just recording sessions. Right on one side. Secondly, um, do you have enough faith? Do you believe in your art enough to put money towards it? You know what I mean. And that's those two things. Because I know a lot of poets who say they want a CD, but when it's time to put out, you know, pay that hundred dollars, two hundred, whatever, um, like they really start <laughs> rethinking it. You know what I mean? Because I mean, like in college at the age of twenty-one, I gave a producer five hundred dollars. All right, and we're gonna do this album. We haven't even talked about packaging yet. You know what I mean? I like promoting, you know what I mean? Like, it's, so it's all these other things I got to pay for, too. You know what I mean? And so when you really start getting into that, like, that's when you kind of start seeing the separation between who has an album and who doesn't. And it comes down to the real question, you know, when you put that money out, is can I make that money back? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that stops a lot of people from doing an album. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I, I don't mind, 
you know, putting out $1,000 for a CD. You know what I mean? Because I know I'm going to make that money back. I know I need to sell this many, <laughs> this amount of copies, you know what I mean, to make that money back plus some. You know what I mean? But you got to have faith. You really got to believe in your art. and You really got to be on it to really have an album that does that. And you know what I mean? A lot of people feel like they get burned, you know, doing an album and then it doesn't do well. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a process and it, it it goes into, like, your faith and your belief in your art and also your own personal money management. Um, I like to I like just – okay, I'm sorry. I just want to talk about one trend that you brought up, KP. Uh, there's an article, and I'm trying to find it because I, I just did the article. I actually – I'm trying to go back and find it. But they talk about five trends for um, 2014. But one of those trends, and I've been talking about it for the past couple of years, is pre-order. So – if you're considering, oh well, you should be. But any project you have is pre. You you want to pre-order, and if you know you have a project coming out, you do not wait until the physical project is there in your hand to start promoting. And so, for so many reasons, people have they feel they have to wait. There is a thing called pre-ordering, and you can go on a pre-order stage, and you know if you you should start and you're planning. And this is why you got to learn about the business side, but in planning, do uh, planning 90-day stages. So I have a project. That means 90 days out I want to start promoting it. You know, what's that visual image that's going to represent it? And get that image out and, and start talking about it. And when you feel maybe 60 days out, you want to go into a pre-order stage. And that helps you fund it and helps make, to make sure that you're in a profitability. So if you pre-order and you already have a certain amount of orders in and you have you have the fund you have the money one to pay for the project and then you've already been doing all of this pre promotion has helped one once the project actually comes out, you have people ready to buy. Because you know, you have to get people ready to buy. So right. um I just wanted to talk but they um industry wise that's one of the trends that, you know, really need to get on is the pre-order stage. And one of the Philly right. poets that just did it is um, Seth Alfreaky. He just published a book, and he put it out as a pre-order. And I ordered it, and about a month later I received my book. But um, really start looking at the, um, you know, work in a pre-order. Right. And I think that, I think a lot of this goes back to um, it's a book that I that I read a few years ago and it really shifted my perception that you got to it's called the um, war of art, the war of art not the art of war the book that most people think of it's called the war of art art and it talks about when you're an artist what types of business things you have to think about from not just the marketing standpoint but as um, everybody has touched on here about being financially solvent in what you're doing. Because what people, you know, don't consider, you know, they like to, you know, that as an artist you're traveling for free, you're trying to sell your product, usually they get compensated for your time and efforts. Um, but, again, it's all a working process. And then we, I, I'm so grateful for what either part MC is doing and what Chris is doing, KP is doing, because it's shifting, um the the energy is shifting, the knowledge base is shifting, the respect level of poetry as an art form, as a perform, performing artist form, 
to get the same level of courtesy and respect. The goal, I guess, is to get the same level of courtesy and respect as other art forms and performing um, formats. That's why I created uh, Soul Opera and Peace Love and Poetry. Um, Peace Love and Poetry is basically a showcase venue so artists can have an opportunity to perform live and perform with a live band, promote amongst other artists. But Soul Opera is the formula that it, it uses a combination of music, um, song, uh, improv, and poetry to tell a storyline but it's also a way to introduce poetry performance to those who typically won't go out to an open mic or anything like that. So I've been able to draw in an audience that have never gone to an open mic event who typically would say they don't like poetry, et cetera. So I love to right. use it as a platform to introduce other people to um, spoken word as a performance art. Yeah, I and that is what especially for those who are promoters, and um, because, you know, we have to get past certain models. Like I said, I, I explained to someone the other day that I went to my first poetry open mic in uh, 1991 or 92. It was an open mic, and it was $5 to get in, right? Mm-hmm. So, 20, mm-hmm. so 20 years later, that's still the basic model that most people think of when they think about doing spoken word poetry business. You know, there's yeah, something wrong right. with that picture. You're so right. The, the thing is, more than ever, there is, uh, like, like 10 years ago when, you know, because I used to promote, like, hip-hop shows and all that sort of thing, uh, about 10 years ago or so when I started uh, – you know, when people start seeing me, you know, promote poetry shows, and they say, well, what, what you promote? And I say, it's a, it's a poetry show. People used to look at you strange, like, well, poetry, spoken word. You know, they didn't necessarily know what, what that would be. Now I could go anywhere. I can go to a nightclub and say I'm promoting a spoken word poetry show. People go, oh, yeah, that's what's up. So there's a demand for spoken word, but people don't want the crapshoot uh, entertainment dollar, right? When they go to a show, they're not necessarily at an open mic. It's like good karaoke night. If you only got in contact with a Luther Vandross or a Gladys Knight only by way of karaoke night, that's not a way to do R&B soul business simply based off of karaoke, you know, mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, you pay for what you get. It's like it's a night out. We're having a good time. You know, you may see some great singers at a karaoke bar, but that's not – you don't go there looking for the dopest singers in the world at a karaoke bar. Likewise with an open mic. Open mic cannot be our genre, our business, everything can be based on open mic. It has to be yeah. like, well, this is spoken word. This is spoken word at its best. We're going to try to give you uh, a great show, like what we did with the No Snap show. You know, the turnouts of both shows were great. Even we did it the other Tuesday when it's like the coldest Tuesday in, in ever. You know, people still came out and had a good time at the show. So the the model for 2014, in my personal opinion, like everyone that's doing spoken word business, we should be thinking about what can we give people more in terms of like really establishing the art form in the mind of people that it's worth uh, a $20 ticket. Like since I moved to Philadelphia, I've seen flyers of like comedy shows where there would be like you know, $35 ticket and there would be a bunch of uh, comedians on the ticket that no one really knows. 
But right. it's like, you know, this is a show, and it's going to have food, and it's going to have drink, and people pay $35 a ticket, and they come out yeah. like, you know, hundreds of people come out for a comedy show because comedy has already been established. Like, well, we're going to do a whole, it's a comedy show, so I'm going to come to that. We have to do yeah. the same thing for spoken word. Definitely. And I think one way to earn that respect is that we got to make sure, as, as those on the forefront of this movement, is that we create quality products, events, and services because, you know, we actually have to show them how it's done and continue to help others, you know, do what they want to do with, with their art form and with poetry specifically. So good stuff, Steve. Um, now, the other thing I want to add, and I say this all the time, no matter who I'm talking to, as long as we black, I want to say we need to create vertical paradigms. Oh, and that's like... Yes, because the problem is is that and that's why you have a million open mics. Like if I give you an analogy, I used to vend on fifty second street in New York because okay. that's like up on hundred twenty fifth street. But right. um all right, so you know, I'm vending and, and how we started there was actually my um oldest stepson, I don't know, Gordy Kinsella Cow Milk is, you know, he's not even really from Philly, but he comes up and he said, oh, I got a stand on 52nd Street because he's always going up New York. Like, how do you get a stand? Them old heads out there, they don't have spots left. Yeah, 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 I got this old head. He left, he got a stand right in front of the jock shop, right there by the PNC Bank. So three weeks he's bored, but he would go be up New York, and that's when they started this trend of putting rap sayings on T-shirts, and they'd be black T-shirts and the sayings being white, and that's in the 90s. So he left it, and we knew how prime that spot was, so we just started taking it up. So um, my husband would do it, and we figured, so we're getting these shirts. It was a new trend. But after about, say, two months, everybody then figured out where we got the shirts from because, you know, everybody goes up to New York, and everybody started getting the shirts. And then they started, I think we, um, this was in, before my husband passed, so we're talking about like 91, 92, and um, we were charging $15 a T-shirt, but then once the other people caught on, then they would charge $12, and the next person was charging 10 They got down to 8 It wasn't no profit in it right. anymore. And they watered it totally down. And so then what we would do, uh, everyone, we just kept, we had to stay ahead of the trend. But this was something, right. and they're still doing it on 52nd Street to today. They watch for the trendsetter. Everybody right. goes in. They water down the field till it's not yep. profitable anymore instead of somebody coming up with another idea. <laughs> Right. And so we have to stop that horizontal movement looking, oh, that, that's real popular with them, so I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it, and everybody do it till it's not, not profitable anymore, and look at what else can I do. Like, if he has the idea, then maybe I can manufacture it. It's like when you're looking at um, what KP is doing. You know, you have, you know, well, with all these shows, well, they need to be promoted. They're not well promoted. Right. And he's using technology, so he's getting it all out. And then through that, they're forming little tours. And then he says, okay, there's another need. Who's really doing publishing? Because, right. you know, the self-publishing, you know, arena is a, is a, is a monster. So here's somebody to trust that, hey, we can show you. And then I'll show you how you can make the money because you know that's a fear. So when we move from idea 
through retail consumption and black ownership in one area, that's what's considered that vertical paradigm. And we need, you know, we don't have to keep watering down the fields. Well, you got this part, like, you know, Francois, he has one type of show. He has two other types of shows. And so just as far as in the performance, right now we got three different type of shows that all the same audience can be engaged at another time because they're so different. But they're all spoken word. But um, those same audiences, just as three ways you can hit the same people because you're moving them up as opposed to just giving them the same thing, one open mic and another open mic and another open mic. So um, for those who are, you know, strategic, and that's where collaboration comes in. How can we collaborate? It doesn't mean a whole bunch of people that's doing the same thing just keep doing the same thing to get larger, but what other aspect can we add on to? to keep the audiences and to keep the people to keep coming back and keep purchasing. Well, I mean, if I, if I, if I may, just real quick, one of the things that we're afraid of, and, you, you know, you talk about that, that vertical movement, like using the 52nd Street analogy with um, everyone having a shirt, it, you know, everyone running out to get, you know, you got 10 different vendors running out to get the same shirt, right? Mm-hmm. One thing that we we it doesn't behoove us to think about if those 10 vendors pull, pull their resources and their monies, that mm-hmm. shirt that they may be paying $5 for that they're going to sell for $15. If all of them mm-hmm. pulled their resources and came to the manufacturer with a large sum of money, that $5 shirt, they may be able to get it down to a, a dollar and a quarter. And yeah. with that dollar and a quarter shirt and that multiplied bulk um, purchase, and without, I'm worried about the other nine. One of the vendors are always worried about what the other nine are going to get. If all ten of them say, "Look, this shirt here, this is going to be the one shirt that all of us are going to sell together." Yeah. And so I'm not worried about, oh man, you going to him before you go to me, and we ain't got to crab each other to death. All of us make yeah. money off that shirt. Then we come and up agree with a on that plan. price. Exactly. So right. we, it's like we all can make money off of this one shirt collectively. Mm-hmm. Ten, ten of us do that, and we'll make more individually. We we paid less to get it individually, and we'll make more individually. But you gotta mm-hmm. have a vision of like, and the main thing with us is trust. And most of the problems mm-hmm. with us in terms of trust, trust is because we ourselves. Everything goes back to an ethical code. It's easy for me mm-hmm. to trust my brothers. I know that I'm I myself am trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And most of us. Are a little afraid of that aspect. That's one of the things we never talk about in black business is the aspect of trust and personal code of ethics and living according to a code of ethics whether the next person next to you is doing that or not. Because once we get there, we'll, our eyes will see opportunities. I don't see my brother KP doing something as competition or my brother Ainsley Burroughs who has a show going around the country. I don't see that as mm-hmm. competition. I see that as opportunities for spoken word. I'm like, hmm, let me call my mm-hmm. brother and see if there's something that we could do together in that. Like, oh, he got that mm-hmm. show going on. That's what's up. Maybe, you know, maybe if I do this part for him, I can get a percentage here and enhance his business system there, and then he can come back to me and get a percentage of this business thing I'm about to do because that's what mm-hmm. our our uh, corporate enemies, if you will, that's what they do. You know, yeah. like Warner Brothers will call that, okay, well, I'll tell you what, you got this, you got that, when we sit at the table and get more of that. Right. Yes. You know? Right. 
because, you know, most time in poetry, like we're doing, if you are a business owner, you're doing the job of two people already. You know what I mean? And you you want some help. You want somebody. You want to cut somebody in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even the open mics, I mean, I, it was always very fascinating to me that people just would go to open mics, see it, you know, and I, oh, I want to do that. I want to start that from scratch when that open right. mic was already suffering that they went to. You know what I mean? Yes. Like that open mic would love to have them just on board working with them instead of being competition or them starting a new event or whatever. Like, you know, and yes. that's, that's always my suggestion when everybody, whenever somebody says, oh, I think about starting an event. Well, you know, all right, what was the event that sparked that in you, that thought in you? Go back and see if they need your help. You know what I mean? Yeah, and how many people were actually there, yeah. And that's the thing when you say, um, KP, when you talked about people talking about what used to be, that's what used to be here, you know. Um, And I watched it, you know. You have an event, and I'm like, well, hey, let's all get around and support this. And they're like, well, you know, I want to start my, you know, there's someone else just wants to, you know, start their own. And so we wound up with when it was just mainly one, now, you know, there were, 10, you know, right. 10 to 12 open mic events where nobody has an audience ab- above 40 people, and they're lucky if they have 40 people. Right. And it's, right. you know. Yeah, it's like it. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's like a small black church. It's like the churches on every corner. Right. I mean, yeah. tell the same truth, but we're going to divide it up. You're going to have three and members. Everybody will have three members. When we come together, pool some resources, and it will be mm-hmm. a better situation for everybody. And, and that's like collaboration. I'm sorry. No, but, go, but that's go the ahead. Thing, mm-hmm. one, of, one of the things that, you know, and Franchon can attest to this, just what you said, like what used to be. I remember a time period where in most cities there were maybe one or two major open mics in, in that entire city. Mm-hmm. And as a performance poet, like, you know, you could you could go to another city and go to that one or two open mic, they'd be packed to the rafters, and mm-hmm. the support from the audience purchased, because, you know, I, I've always had CDs, so, but it's like to even purchase <laughs> those CDs, it, it's, you know, we used to go to uh, open I could go to open mic in Brooklyn. I could go to the Brooklyn Moon uh, back in mm-hmm. the day and, and sell 20 to 30 CDs easily and watch mm-hmm. another person stand next to me and sell 20 to 30 CDs easily. Mm-hmm. But then when it became, in, especially in New York City, like I've seen you have like four or five open mics within a radius of each other, all of them averaging five to ten people, and this is not an exaggeration, you, you'll have those kind of numbers. And, it, and when we, me and KP, we did a tour last, uh, what was it, last winter, and we went to, uh, you know, not to put people on blast, we went to a spot in Atlanta. And that right. one mm-hmm. venue had uh, three poetry open mics in that week at the same space. Three different right. groups of people promoting a poetry event, none of them getting a big crowd. Right. Mm-hmm. But all of them in this one coffee house, all of them struggling to get 10, 15 people, and most of the 10, 15 people that were there were poets themselves. Right, you know, right. So that's that's what spoken word poetry spots have have really been reduced to. The majority of them in in everybody's city, there will be one or two that has a, that has people that are art patrons, but the rest of the spots will be full of poets. Yeah, you know, and that's a um, 
a lot of that is ego and, you know, and then some of it's not actually having, you know, you know, the business sense because I know I think last year, probably last year, we actually had wanted to do a show down in Atlanta, but they didn't really have no inside people. I'm like, you know, you have a great idea, but what makes you think that's going to sell in that market? How, you know, it could be a great idea, great show concept, but how are you going to get the people there? And you're all the way here. How do you know you're going to sell? Why wouldn't you just, if you're on tour, instead of putting on your own event in a city where you don't have any support, and I think it was some poetry festival going on. This was outside the festival. I said, why wouldn't you just try to attach to something already going on in that city? Right. And, right. you know, they really, really tried, and I think they finally realized that that wasn't going to be feasible, um, you know, to do that. Right. It was just too hard without on-the-ground resources, and it was a lot of competition. But, you know, you know, you do have to understand the business of things, and this will help you sometimes from getting burned. And, you know, you do have to take chances, but... Just um, and it's not just in poetry. This lack of collaboration. This kind of happens in our um, small business community. And that um, I agree with you with the trust thing. Yes, and that goes back to you know the whole Willie Lynch us being separated and being taught to distrust one another. You know, and um, it just happens. But it's been at least fifteen, twenty years, and nonprofit started. You know the way has become nonprofit and for profit the way it has become in business collaboration. Everybody working in silos and you being this lone soldier, it doesn't work anymore. And you see big businesses. Right. When the biggest of biggest people are willing to collaborate. And just right. to show you an example, um one of my clients is Will Smith Day, Will Smith Senior. He um I have um do all natural body and wellness products. Black owned company too. But, you know, and he was my client. I go there, whole family. And then the um, the black celebrities got together and decided to back Carol's daughter. And I know her, right? And they, they're two black-owned women-owned companies, but they're two different business models. But when they got together, they all said, we're going to support Carol's daughter. And they got together, and they did it. And Will Smith, right. you know, senior, he was like, oh, I can't support you anymore. I mean, I knew it was coming because I already heard it. But, um, it was, you know, it's that loyalty. Okay, we're going to all get together, and we're going to come behind and support this one business. But since right. that support of Carol's daughter, I have seen um, Overbrook Entertainment, which is Will Smith, but he has expanded their brand into so much more, and they have so much more successes. But you're starting to see it's a whole circle now working together rather than just them trying to do their thing over here or just. Right. They have found that that collaboration is working. So if people that have right. all of that kind of money is realizing it's working, it's worth their time to collaborate, there's no reason why we can't start doing it. Absolutely. And, well, right. I, think, and, uh, I think that one thing that we have to all recognize, just like it, like it, you said before, not only know your history on the creative side, you know, fortunately for me, I've, I've had the opportunity now to become an entertainment business man, uh, major in college. And what I what happens with me, what I find very interesting with my study perspective versus my um, colleagues is that I'm always studying about independent artists, independent functions, those who want to remain independent. Right. And, oh, 
most the rights to all their stuff. And all of them had this idea that it's all about the big conglomerations and it's all about the big business. And, um, you know, I take some independent music artists, and I actually that's how I come up with soul opera and things like that. I take music, some things that already happen in the music industry, and I take them and I, I try to find a way to fuse poetry in it as a foundation, backdrop, or part of the performance. And Eric Roperson, for instance, one of, one of the most successful independent artists out there. He always mm-hmm. makes, you know, he owns all his stuff. You know, Cal Riddick, even though, you know, she's a local independent artist and they do fairly well. So one of the things that happens with me is convincing artists that, guess what, you can be independent and be sustainable. It's just you got to determine and be clear about what your goals and objectives are and what you want. It's basic business 101 and 102. And I use Absolutely. those those conglomerates, I use those, I use other models. There's all kinds. You don't have to recreate everything. You can no. pick and choose and pull together those components that work for you and create what you're trying to build. Right, right. And and to go back, like, you know, we to go all the way back. We're having this conversation of, you know, business and poetry. And what I tend to forget when talking to poets is that a lot of poets aren't looking at it as a business at all. You know what I mean? Like, they yes. continue to say just this art and this hobby. And, you know, we we kind of, in poetry, we had this whole thing of hope and faith. Well, if I just do right, everything will turn out right. You know what I mean? But there is strategy involved. There is strategy for mm-hmm. how to have a successful open mic, how to grow your career, how to set up shows. Even you mentioned that going to Atlanta, you don't just jump up and go to Atlanta. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You spend some time. Because, I, I, I mean, I got into this with somebody, you know, a couple of years ago because um, mm-hmm. they saw me go to Atlanta. I was like, well, I lived in Georgia for five years. I didn't just, you know, put on a blindfold, throw a dart at the map, and go to that place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, was in Georgia for, I was in Georgia for five years. I know the landscape. I know the landscape of the whole state's poetry scene. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know who to contact uh, six months before going down there. I know who to tell. I'm thinking about doing this. What? What should I do? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's a mm-hmm. bunch of conversations behind, you know, behind what you see. You know what I mean? And it's not just a magical and just hoping and having faith. Like, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. You know what I mean? That's maybe 50%. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, like, calculating, yeah. strategizing, these are things that poets need to not be afraid of. It's not a bad thing, and it doesn't mean yeah. you're less, you know, concerned about the art or that you're – uh, some kind of sellout. I was called a sellout recently, which is cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? Because I understand the separation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and the thing about it, just to share for those who think that way, because I know that was a big issue. You know, I'm not a, a poet or a spoken word artist, you know. I, I write. I have my writings, but I would never publish them. But, um, but because I wasn't part of the scene or in the scene, when I, you know, a lot of people were kind of distrustful of me. They thought I was just trying to come in and take from them, and you know, I, you know, all different type of things. But when the thing to look at, if you don't want to be somebody to get over on you, first of all, don't get blinded by the money because I know sales, and that's the first thing they think. Everybody gets so caught up in the money, and they people talk a whole lot of numbers. You get so hyped and excited, and you're not looking behind it. 
But even when you're doing business, the one thing I say for spoken word artists, if the people do not respect the craft of spoken word, just don't bother with them, even if they're the best producer or whatever, because they're not going to give you what you need if they don't respect the craft. And there's still a lot of people that don't. But the person that respects the craft will honor the art. The person that doesn't respect the craft is not going to honor the art. And a person like KP and Edipold MC and Francois, they're going to protect it. They'll do business, but these are the ones who will actually protect the art form because they understand it. So, um, but you can, everything is business. Even if you're just doing it from an academia standpoint, if you're going out to open mic and, you know, you're engaging their rules and regulations and mythologies just to even get up on someone's stage. So, you know, everything is a negotiation in business. You just, as Francois said, had to be clear about what your parameters are and you have to be clear about your values. Because if you're clear about your values and you're willing to stand on your values, you don't have to worry about the commercialism of your art because you're going to stand on your values. And I think that's one of the main things, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, that things are different now. There are all the aspects of business. You know, again, being someone who's recorded for a long time, you know, going into studios with producers who didn't know how to produce for spoken word, because you don't produce mm-hmm. a spoken word the way you do for gospel or, or even hip-hop for that matter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a hip-hop thing. Sometimes it's not a hip-hop thing. So there, now you have, you have a plethora from management to publishing to hosting, to promoting, to manage, every aspect of business that you need in terms of spoken word, those who've been part of the culture of spoken word, that's why I call myself the black Russell Simmons, as opposed to uh, <laughs> someone outside of the culture. Because many of us, you know what I mean, we're, we've been trained to be employees. And we've been trained to the main things that we complain about that happen to hip-hop culture are the things that we're, like, praying that happens to spoken word culture. We're waiting waiting for someone outside of the culture to, number one, Mm -hmm. validate it, and, number two, provide it a platform when they're not even uh, in the mindset of what this culture actually needs. And some of the things that happen with with hip-hop culture, you know, you had those among us that single-handedly taught the mainstream industry, the the corporate industry, uh, exploit is how to successfully exploit hip-hop. No, this is not how you exploit it. You exploit it like this in terms of a neck. This is how you steal hip-hop from the people, and that happened. And many of us and them same figures are the ones who, like, when they say, well, I put, I put spoken word on TV, you know, and most of us know during the era of Death Poetry Jam and even with the era of Versus and Flow, those that are on these shows are not, the, the the best that we know of in terms of representing this culture. Yes, so and um, we have to, and it's, we have yeah, to some be, of that stuff is behind the scenes stuff, but even behind the scenes, like with deaf poetry, the one of the big thing happens is the enthusiast, the idea person, kind of got removed from it. It was there, and then it was left to other people who wasn't actually their idea, their super passion to carry it out. And that's where is, you. Mhm. The problem, I think, the problem with that, you know, I don't, I don't complain when an exploiter exploits. You know, that's okay. what they do. 
My complaint mm-hmm. is with those who, because, you know, the the stereotype of the spoken word artist is like, you know, among our people we may be the most enlightened and the most conscious and all this sort of thing. So if that is so, then we should be uh, more in the mindset of like I will not allow my art form to be exploited or allow myself to be exploited. We should be thinking mm-hmm. like the history of black art teaches us that if we don't create an independent infrastructure of our own surrounding our mm-hmm. art, then, then all is lost. We know yeah. that there's always been a relationship between we create something, create an infrastructure for ourselves, keep it, keep it independent, and be patient. We pay, if we patiently build infrastructure, then we have in, infrastructure to leave the next generation to build upon that. But what we yeah. tend to do as soon as someone outside of our culture validates what we're doing, then it becomes real. Because for a lot of us, hip-hop wasn't real until uh, the white corporations validated it. You know, R&B mm-hmm. or the rhythm and blues or the, the boogie-woogie or the blues music that we did, none of that stuff was valid until someone outside of our culture made it valid. Then they systematically take it from us that, mm-hmm. you know, the artists create art and there are families that, uh, that wax rich for generations based on what happened in the 30s, what happened in the 40s. So likewise with the art form we have now, we have, we have an opportunity. There are, in every aspect of business, from the publishing, the music, to the promotion, mm-hmm. we are in the forefront now to control those things. You know what I mean? We can give, like people talked about spoken word recordings, well, there's no rotation, there's no radio show for that. So I created a radio show that gives the, the recordings that we create, give that rotation. All we need to do is support it. You know, all we need to do is, like a show that we're on right now, all we need to do is just tune in and listen and get other people to tune in and listen. This level of conversation here could revolutionize the spoken word business in and of itself. But we just got to yeah. be willing to do it. And, yes, and um, and that's where we're moving forward. I, I, just, I really think 2014 is going to be a breakthrough year. I know some things that I've had on the page for a few years, um, had the opportunity to bring to the forefront. And um, and because of people like, you know, you guys um, uh, making it more popular and acceptable, um, last month, you may have missed them, um, we had Tony um, 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 Spears on, and um, he calls himself um, Fruition. But he actually founded the... Um, the Black Comedy Competition for the Bay Area. And that's a competition that all the major comics have come out of. I mean, every major comic there is, they've all come out of there. Um, And he does, you know, promotion, he does these shows and all. But come to find out, he was a spoken word artist. But it was just something more he kept to himself. And then his son... um, you know, he's in the hip-hop and recording. He said, Dad, you need to record it. So he finally got, because the younger people said, I'm going to do it. And he started recording and whatnot. And so, you know, we worked together. And I'm like, well, Tony, do you ever put any spoken word artists on the stage, like to open up or something? Yes, I do. So like, now that's an opportunity and a platform. But he's also a filmmaker. He's done several films. Um, and he's a writer. And um, he's the one who believed from the page to the stage that if you're doing poetry, spoken word, you have to write it down first. <laughs> but right. um, 
But with that opportunity, you know, there lies an opportunity for some actual, because that's the one thing we haven't even talked about, and I'm going to post in here some revenue streams. But the other revenue stream that's available now, especially because of technology, is, um, you know, film, television, shorts, um, you know, things we can produce ourselves, and um, even things being produced on another level, you just, you know, you, you need all you need to know is, um, you know, how it works. You sit down, write, and you produce, and you build your audience. And, um, you know, they're working on monetizing it, but we actually had the opportunity where there are more collectives being done. There are collectives in film where we're actually producing um, through um, Duvet, and Real Black is part of the network, but there's a network of, releasing film companies, and they decide, okay, this is the one film we're going to get get behind. It has to win the festivals. It goes through all the festivals. And then they choose one film, and they say, we're going to all get behind this. And, Lyra, you know, Lyra Speck, she's real big with that movement, really gathering people, and they get all the people to come out and watch the black films. And they have done very successful that they made it past opening weekend, which allowed them to open up in more and more theaters. And this is all right. straight black-owned. So. Right. There are models being done, and there's no reason why we can't do those same type of things in spoken word. And there are, you know, all kind of opportunities. But we're going to see a lot of never done before. And the only thing I just ask is 2006, I put out a survey, 90-something percent of spoken word artists did not even look at spoken word as an industry. Right. So I'm just hoping that now in 2014, things that you might have been afraid to think of or even possible or even dream of in spoken word because, like, you know, death poetry was fine, you know, versus and flow, that's fine. But years ago I thought way past that of, you know, creativity. You know, you're some of the most creative people. Put that to your art form. Anything's possible. You know, don't limit yourself because you don't think it's possible. Don't be afraid to dream. And right. let's really step outside the box and, you know, you know that's the one thing. Um, spoken word can work with any other genre and it can stand alone. So it's one of the most versatile right. art forms. Right. So, um, I mean, we in general, I was going to say, we in general put a lot of limits on what spoken word is. Like poets put a lot of limits on what mm-hmm. it, it is and what it can be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, business-wise, I mean, me personally, uh, and that's why, you know, I set up the uh, the Art of Conversation radio show. You know, me being a recording artist, you know, I put out my first spoken word CD in 1998. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I've been having this conversation since 1998. Like, yo, you really need to get in the studio and uh, record some stuff. So at this stage, like, you know, I'm not having that conversation as much. Mm-hmm. I just know that, you know, just what I proved with the radio show, you know, I put out there that, look, we're starting this radio show, send me, uh, send me music. And I've mm-hmm. been sent music as far as from London, from every part of the country. You know, I, I have a plethora of music. So instead of having a conversation with, like, you know, proving an artist that this can work, there are a plethora of artists who are already doing business. And that's one yeah. of the things that I, I realized in meeting Christopher K.P. Brown, you know, that there's a kindred spirit out there. There's, you know, it's not just me and uh, K.P. and me, K.P. Right. and Franchon. I know that mm-hmm. anywhere, everywhere else in this country, in this country, 
you know what I mean, someone is doing, already doing business. Someone is already right. shooting music videos. Like, I shoot music videos. And, mm-hmm. uh, and in, in shooting music videos and editing music videos for spoken word artists, I came across another spoken word artist doing the same thing in California. So now we're going to collab and do some things. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, you know, water seeks its own level. We need to go ahead and, go ahead and you know, start to build infrastructure among those who are willing mm-hmm. to build infrastructures, you know, there are what they call like lagging indicators. You know what I mean? There's you know those who are the innovators. There are those who you know who who gets who get things sparked. So mm-hmm. my services and anyone that knows me know that you know you can get production done, quality production done, music production done at a very reasonable price. You'd be shocked at the kind of prices I charge you. You know, music production, video production, right. promotional help. You know what I mean? You you can do this stuff with a shoestring budget. And yes. if you want to be in the business of spoken word, if you want to, you know, do T-shirts, you want to do design, you want to do different things, you know, to help perpetuate your business system, you know, create a business system. And mm-hmm. I have a series of workshops that I'm going to release in uh, 2014 called Gladiator School. And, you know, and what that is, it's like, you know, we're we're going to actually work with spoken word artists who are ready to, to make those type of moves. Like, yo, I want to do business. I want to master my craft first. Can't do business around bad poetry. So let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's master our craft. <laughs> right. And then yes. let's right. learn how to build business around our poetry. And that's what we're doing for 2014. Well, I would like to offer you gentlemen, um, since you're doing a workshop, because I wanted to say um, I'm the chairperson of the Urban Tech Fair. It's a national movement, but it's, we go into various cities and we provide an infrastructure that helps showcase what's going on in technology in that city, and we foster collaboration and mm-hmm. there are tech challenges and all different type of things. So um, there are some things that we're putting in place, you know, nationally. Like we're working, I'm working on sponsorship for cloud and ground listening booths, and for primarily for independent artist music. And everything I do includes spoken spoken word. You know, like if you're gonna do business with me, you have to be able to agree to deal with spoken word. I add that into the mix. Okay. And um, but we do virtual expos. So um, we're gonna start in July through um, December, but there'll be a virtual expo every month. So I um, would love for you guys, you know, you present virtual, and a virtual expo is a three-day intensive, so on topics that take three sessions, you know, if you look at presenting those. And then for our silly, when we do ours, you know, we had an opportunity to um, definitely do something here, and I would love to do something um, creative around you know, producing, looking at, okay, um, having a project, what does it take, you know, that understanding, but also teaching people alternatives and creative ways of, you know, finding a budget. And that's for the recording as well as for video, because video is a little bit more expensive. And so people shy away from doing quality videos, especially in spoken word. But if we look at, you know, what's the process and, you know, ways that you can creatively raise funds so that you can, um, you know, produce that video. So, um, you know, you guys brainstorm, but, you know, we'll be working it, especially from the tech end, 
but you know you put together a workshop or we can definitely put something together and um just, you know present it to the Philly team and then the virtual course is done globally so you have a global audience on there and cool. that would be be great, yeah, cause this way I can just be in charge. But, you know, I really wanted to be able to bring spoken word. And, you know, I just haven't been, always had a lot of ideas, but I have very few people who I could sit down and talk to that didn't think I was crazy. So, right. it's good. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. Part of being a visionary, y'all. That's part of being visionary. That's all. It comes with the right. territory. Right. Well, look, before right. we end tonight, I just want each of you. So please, you know, drop some knowledge or a seed on what you want to leave the listeners with um, tonight. And tell everyone uh, how to get in touch with you. Yeah, before Jackie gives the closing words, please share. And tell everyone how to get in touch with you. Okay. Okay. Katie? You go for it. (laughs) Okay. Um, Again, on social media, as far as uh, Twitter, Facebook, everything is backslash. E the poet M C E T H E E T H E P O E T E M C E E M C is E M C E E the poet M C. Also, um, the main thing is for spoken word artists, because you know one of the main things is letting the people know that we have quality spoken word recordings. That's why we set up the Art of Conversation radio show. It's a talk show as well as a uh, show where we put like 10 spoken word artists each um, show in rotation. So you can hear it and the music gets shared. We're sharing it all over the, the Internet. It's going crazy right now. Um, and you can find that on SoundCloud, backslash E the Poet MC. You'll find the Art of Conversation show there. And send us your tracks at EPMC, you know, E Poet MC, EPMC71 at Yahoo.com. There you go. Now is that M C E M C E E or M C? Uh for for the, for the email, email is just the M and the C. The E, the P, the M, the C seven. And that's at, okay, Yahoo. and that's at what? Gmail? Yahoo dot com. Yahoo. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um it, oh, oh, real ahead. quick, excuse me, K P. Um E, what about um your website? Your main website? Yeah, the main website is Boom. Boombapsyntax.com. Boombapsyntax.com. All right. Go ahead, KP. All right. Um, so my contact, um, poetry247.com is the main website. Um, everything spelled, well, poetry spelled out in the numbers 247, so poetry247.com. That's the website. There's a there's a link to our other website, Two Pens and Lint, there on Poetry 24/7. Um, as far as contacting me, um, to be honest, I'm I'm the Facebook person. At the end of the day, like Facebook is the best way to reach me. Uh, email or the easiest way, just Christopher K P Brown on Facebook. Christopher K P Brown. That's easy to remember. Chris Brown with a K P in the middle. So, um, and you asked for um, as far as like I guess any you know just two cents or word advice. Um, my thing um, with poetry in general is that uh, because it is a you know industry that's still growing and we're still kind of setting the foundation on a certain level, um, 
it's all it's kind of hard to say where the money is. Like people always, you know, trying to do the full time thing, like pay all the bills from it. It's it's afraid to make that leap, and so a lot of times people will look for the money first and then decide to work based off where the money mm-hmm. is. But in Portugal, it's reverse. Like start working, like just start <laughs> doing the work. Whatever work needs to be done, the money will find you. You know what I mean? Right. And so like that's my thing. Anybody who wants to get in the Portugal side. Nice. All right, and my name is Sweet Francine, Sweet like in a hotel suite, S-U-I-T-E-F-R-A-N-C-H-O-N. You can find me on all the social medias and Facebook, et cetera, at Sweet Francine. The email, I mean, the website is www.peaceforpoetry.com. And i just like to tell everybody, you know, don't be afraid. We are a resource, but it is a business. You know, be willing and able um, to have a consultation with us if you need some assistance and, um, you know, be willing to invest monetarily in your craft. And, um, you know, and from that it will be an investment that you will be um, a good investment for you. It will be something that will help you grow not only as an artist but help you move toward moving from a hobby to a business. Okay. Well, you you all said everything. So I'm just going to say peace, love, and we're going to roll out on Lamar's Hill, Poetry for a Living. And thank you. Every time I tell somebody I do poetry for a living, they look at me weird. Like they don't believe that it's possible. I tell them that it is. I tell them I don't make my living off giving people reasons to buy a CD. That's crazy. I make my living off giving people reasons to live outside the box, outside the cell block, outside the cubicle. I tell them that a life lived without boundaries is beautiful. I tell them that the body can do whatever the mind chooses to. And I ain't got no illusions or grandeur. I know when my story ends, but yours begins whenever you get ready to move. Want to be a lawyer? Take your ass back to school. You only got a short time on this earth, so while you're here, you better find your niche and work on it like your life depends upon it cause tomorrow isn't promised, failure's not an option, wanna be a dancer, get it popping, work your angles like an architect with all your tears, blood and sweat then disregard the people that'll tell you you're crazy cause they too scared or lazy and too complacent to make the necessary changes this life is about risk, jumping in with both feet cause the answer could be just beneath the surface and the timing ain't never gonna be perfect but only 2% of the people on this planet actually do what they want 60% of the people on this planet work for them, the other 38% are just too far gone so you better get in where you fit in while you still can otherwise die wondering what could have been and when you think about it like that doing poetry for a living makes perfect sense it puts me in that two percent i only answer to god program managers can't censor my shit i'm a prophet that prophesies and profits no gimmicks i give it to you the same way god gave it to me the pen is a pistol the words are a nightstick i just beat you over the head till you submit no blue pill just red here's some water swallow this and this ain't about performing this is two doses of reality call me in the morning this is word is born this is you better get your piece of the pie before it's gone this is one part heart four parts persistence cover the pot and let it simmer guess who's coming to dinner opportunities knocking better pop the lock and let them enter this is 2005 you can start a business with an internet connection and a laser printer no excuses get on your mission and consider all this the next time you fix your face to ask me what i do for a living